as the worship team exits the platform, I want to share Psalm 1914. May these words of my mouth and this meditation of my heart be pleasing in your sight, sight Lord, my rock and my redeemer. Questions for Jesus. We have been talking about asking questions to Jesus in the book of Mark. There's a lot of questions. Pastor Mark and I went through the entire book of Mark and listed lots of questions, but we only chose like three for you, so you're lucky this is not a 52-week series. Because um, people asked Jesus a lot of questions, didn't they? Because he said a lot of things. People ask a lot of questions for him to clarify, for him to understand, all of this stuff. But today we're looking at Mark 12, 28-34 in the I'm using the NIV translation today. Um, and that's the passage that we're going to look at. But the question for Jesus is, what is the greatest commandment? Here in this passage, we see Jesus coming off yet another question. And this time... The previous passage, it was about marriage and heaven and what wife will you have and who's it was very complicated. It was a very I would think it was a very considerate cultural Jewish question at that time. Because women were passed along to people men men of the same family to keep the same family's name alive. So they had questions about that. What happens in the resurrection? What happens at the end? And Jesus was like, okay, people, like, whatever. And he moved on. And then immediately in the next verse, we get this question. One of the teachers of the law came and heard them debating. So Jesus was debating with the people that asked him this question about marriage and whose wife will this woman be? Noticing that Jesus had given them a good answer, because Jesus always gives good answers, or better questions, usually, he asked him, of all the commandments, which is the most important? The most important one, answered Jesus, is this. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. The second is this, love your neighbor as yourself. There is no commandment greater than these. Well said, teacher, the man replied. You are right in saying that God is one and there is no other but him. To love him with all your heart, with all your understanding, with all your strength, and to love your neighbor as yourself is more important than all burnt offerings and sacrifices. And when Jesus saw that the man had answered wisely, he said to him, You are not far from the kingdom of God. And then from then on, no one dared ask him any more questions. You see, Jesus in this passage is revolutionary in summing up the entirety of the law into two full statements. No one before him had ever quite done what he had done before. Although some had come close, many had done something similar. David summed up the law into 11 things. 
Isaiah into 6, Micah into 3, Isaiah again into 2, and Habakkuk to 1. However, what Jesus said to the, to the teacher of the law had never been done before. Jesus took the initial proclamation of faith of Judaism, saying that God is God, and there is no one like him, and put it all with the Levitical laws, the Mosaic laws of that time, all 613 of them, I believe. Jesus also challenged conventional wisdom by opening up the word neighbor to include all people, not just fellow Jews or people who wanted to live with the Jews. Because Jesus was speaking to a large, to not just this man, but to everyone in attendance. Not only are we to believe that God is God, and that he is our Lord, and that he is one over us, but we're also to love God through our hearts, through our souls, through our minds, through our strength. And then we must in turn use that love to love other people. As much, or in some cases, more so than our own selves. Because I don't know about you, but sometimes I'm pretty hard on myself, and I would not be that hard on other people that I meet. So I need, sometimes I'm nicer to other people than I am to myself. But that's a me thing, and that's something I'm working on. But loving God and loving others is the focus. Okay? Loving God. Loving others. Loving God. Loving others. Jesus demonstrated that to us on the cross. He showed his love for his own father, for his own godliness, by sacrificing himself and living a life as us. To understand us. To be like us. It's very hard to, for us to grasp in our human minds how God could be us, but also still be God. It's very confusing. Many theologians have tried. None of us have gotten it quite right. We'll probably understand it better when we're with him. I hope so. But we've got an eternity, right? We've got a long time to figure it out. Loving God. How do you love God? Love God through your heart, soul, mind, strength. What does that mean? Where else can we see this? Well, in 1 John chapter 2, verses 3 through 6, we see this. We have come to know him if we keep his commands. Whoever says, I know him, but does not do what he commands is a liar, and truth is not in that person. But if anyone obeys his words, love for God is truly made complete with them. This is how we know we are in him. Whoever claims to live in him must live as Jesus did. Okay? So it's like, obey God's commandments, do everything he says, but live as Jesus did. So that makes it a little bit easier for us to understand, right? Because a Jewish reader would read that everything God commands, they would go all the way back to Levitical law and go point by point by point and say, Am I living this way? Am I living this way? Am I doing this right? Am I doing that right? But 
But Jesus made it a little bit easier for us. He lived it out in his everyday life. He lived it out, loving God and loving others. How do we love God? Loving God includes having our emotions demonstrate love to God. Like, if you're angry about something, maybe that anger can fuel you into action to right wrongs, not to blow up in people's faces or be mad at yourself. You can show God love by righting wrongs. Loving God means worshiping Him through music, being in nature. Pets are great. I always say that, well, I had this realization that, like, we're made in the image of God, okay? Following you. Dogs are man's best friend. Maybe God is reflected in the way dogs love us and how we love dogs. Interesting. Dog is also kind of backwards. Reflected image. You know, I don't know. I had this thought a few years ago when I looked at my dog and I was like, You love me, don't you? Like, a lot. And sometimes I'm mean to you, and sometimes you don't get what you want right away, and whatever, but you still love me, so, huh. And I have this divine revelation that God loves me even more so than this dog does, and I sometimes don't treat God in the best way either. We can also love God through solitude, which is something that I read in my seminary classes, and I thought, that's not for me. I don't care what you say. I don't care if it's a discipline. It's not for me. And then God was like, you're going to try it out, okay? You're going to try it out. You're going to be with me, just you and me. And we're going to try it out. And you're going to love me that way. Okay, I'll be quiet. I won't talk to people. I won't message people. I won't find something to do. I won't do all these things. I'll just be with you and me and see how it goes. Lo and behold, it's a good time. You don't have to be doing something all the time or talking to people all the time to be with God. But on the flip side, loving God is also loving people through your community. Okay? So not only is there solitude, there's also great community. We are social creatures. I, being one of the most social creatures, know this. I've known this my whole life. I've tried to talk to adults. I've tried to talk to other children. I've tried to befriend every single human that I've ever seen face-to-face. -face. Sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't, whatever. But we're made for community, aren't we? That's why we have churches. That's why we have groups. That's why we have small groups. That's why we have Facebook groups. That's why we have all these things. We can love God in that way. Loving God includes using your mind. Some minds are greater than other minds. But it doesn't mean that you don't use every bit of your mind to try and understand what God is telling you. Through meditation on His Word, and looking at other people's commentaries on the Word, and reading about their experiences, and looking at tradition, and experiencing things for yourself. Use your mind to love God. And what does it look like to love God with your soul? Well, I think that looks like 
accepting Jesus and realizing that your soul has a place with him and that it was built for relationship. <laughs> Loving God also means living your life in a perseverance, in a sense of pushing forward, in a sense of using your strength. But when you can't use your strength anymore, call on God for your strength. Loving God does not mean being the most strong person that everyone can rely on all the time. We're not like, we're, we can't do that. We're not built like that. Some can take more than others, and that's fine. But we must live our lives in a sense of perseverance and a sense of purpose. That's what loving your God with all your strength looks like. Loving others. I did a sermon on love a while ago. I've done devotions on loving God and loving others. And I'm trying to sum all this up into this sermon because it's so important. Like God keeps telling me, like, loving God, loving others is just so important. You can't live your life ignoring that commandment that Jesus said. And nearly all, I think all of his gospels, and even in the other letters and the epistles, Nancy read from Luke, and it was the exact same thing that I read in Mark. This is pretty consistent in Jesus' teaching. Love God, love others. Alright, I've covered loving God. How do we love others? Well, first, we must remember that God loved us, agape, unconditionally. And that we can love each other, philia, which is affectionate love for friendships and community and people and all of this stuff. There's also um, familial love of parents and children, which we understand between God the Father and God the Son. And we love others by a few things. By blessing them where we are. It doesn't have to be out of an abundance. It could be just blessing them where you are. A note of encouragement. A call on the phone. A simple text. Paying someone to do something for you. A financial blessing. Just giving a gift in general is a blessing to people. I love gift cards. I've gotten gift cards before and I love it. It's great. That means that someone has given you money out of their own pocket for you to use at a place that you like without any strings attached. It's great. You can love others through your own vulnerability and your own compassion for them. Being vulnerable does not mean weeping and crying and uh, really mushy emotional stuff. It just means being real and honest with others about where you are and what you're going through. And when you relate to people on that level, they trust you. You build trust with them. And I think Jesus wants us to love others by building that trust with them, by being vulnerable with others. And then moving into compassion for others. I'm not built for compassion necessarily. My wife will tell you that I'm not the most compassionate person. I've had to work on it. Most, first with her and then with the children. But I get it. When Jesus says move into action for people, we need compassion on certain people that walked into his life as he was walking along and living life. He healed them. He talked with them. 
he did things for them that he would normally do for other people. Move yourselves to compassion. Love others by fighting for justice. Love others through being at peace with one another. Fighting for justice, living in peace. I feel like I just said a little different, couple different things there. Well, when you fight for justice, you put people in the same places as someone who seems to have a higher place than the other one. You make it right. You make it equal. You make it equitable. You make it so that people can live lives in peace and harmony with one another instead of in strife or in looking one having to look up to the other and one looking down on the other. God doesn't want that. The kingdom is, of heaven is upside down. It doesn't make sense in our world. And bits and pieces of our world get it. Different parts of the world get it. Parts of our country get it. But not all systems are set up for people to be successful. God wants us to do that. He wants people to live a life of abundance with him. And that doesn't mean all the money you can ever get, or all the houses you could ever get, or all the clothes you could ever get, or all the material things you could ever get, but it means living a life full of peace and harmony and love for one another, for two people. And serving in a sentence, Jesus said it best, love God, love your neighbor as yourself. Love God, love your neighbor as yourself. Everything rides on this. Everything we do, everything we say, everything we believe rides on this. We can believe a whole bunch of other things about our theology, our eschatology, our praxis, but loving God and loving your neighbor as yourself is what everything hinges on. Loving God and loving others cannot be fully done without the person of the Trinity that I haven't talked about yet, the Holy Spirit. Sure, for some people it's easier, you know, to be nice, to be loving, to be passionate for their justice, for certain groups, for certain people. But most of the time, in the everyday mundane, day-to-day, -day, we may not be thinking about it. We may not be worried about it. We may not even be able to do it. Like, I have to check myself on a daily basis as a parent. How am I loving my children? How am I showing them God's love? Because, let's be honest, if you're a parent, you're the first thing the child notices about God's love. And if you're a grandparent, you're secondary, but if you're, a and if you're a teacher, or a nurse, or um, even just somebody on the street, you're tertiary to showing love to these people and showing them what God is like. But it doesn't mean you don't stop showing love to people. But most of the time, things get in our way, right? Our own hurts. Our own differences from one another get in the way of loving people. And God said, through Jesus on the cross, those barriers are broken and the veil is torn. I just heard this recently that in Jewish culture, people with 
differences and defects and things that weren't aligned with the law weren't allowed to go worship. What did Jesus do? He did something more than die and raise again, which, no, I can't do that, okay? I'm not going to drop and then come back. I can't do that, as far as I know. He did more than that. He made it so that everyone can come. So, drop all of your pain, drop all of your hurts, drop all of your preconceived notions about other people. I mean, don't go blindly trusting people because some people can't be trusted because of their own stuff. But it doesn't mean that you don't set yourself up for love for that person. And allow fresh pair of eyes, fresh pair of ears, an open heart, and an open mind, and a will aligned with God's, to put on God's love, like Jesus did, and love others as Jesus did. Look further than those within these church walls. Don't stop loving people within these church walls. But look further than these church walls to love others. Because I guarantee you those outside the church walls are more in need of love than the people in this room. Lift up groups around you that sometimes are made to feel like the love of God isn't for them. Through your actions and through your deeds and through your words and how you view God. Remember this. Jesus set the table at the Last Supper and served them, knowing that this was his last meal on earth, knowing that this was the only time that he had to be human with them, to be real and honest with them. That table, everyone is welcome. I've been posting this week about fighting for justice and fighting for the oppressed because I don't know if that's what this Lenten season has brought to mind to me. It's fighting for justice. How do we do that? Fight for the oppressed and the marginalized. Speak for those voices who are drowned out by the noise of those who are over them. Don't let other people take over other people. It's not the kingdom of God. God's in charge. The enemy thinks he's in charge. We sometimes think we're in charge. But we must love people. And I think that's the best way to love God, too. You can do all these things for yourself. You can be as pious and as religious as you want to be. But if that love for other people isn't there, you're not living the way of Jesus. You're not living in a way that says, honk if you love Jesus, people are going to honk at you. They're going to try to hit you. 
loving God and loving others is something that Jesus said best. And I want that to be your life. I want that to be my life. Um, I don't know. Do we have the... Ray, do we have the song? Yeah. Okay. Um, this is a song that I heard back in college. It's by Tim Hughes. It's great. Um, Ray's going to pull it up for 